You're listening to Agile Ideas, the podcast, hosted by Fatima Rabucci. For anyone listening out there not having a good day, please know there is help out there. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Agile Ideas. I'm Fatima, CEO at Agile Management Office, Mental Health Ambassador, and your host. There are a lot of things you need to do when running a business, and one of those things is securing new sales opportunities and leads. One of the ways to do this is by partaking in government tenders, where your business will apply or is invited to apply to tenders that the government may release. Now, government tenders tend to come very thick and fast. They happen often and there is so many different types. Depending on whether you are registered with a state or a federal government, you may have access to more or less of those tenders. In today's episode, I'm going to talk you through tenders, what to do when you find them and how to ensure that if you are applying, that you have the best chance to win them. Despite some efforts to make the tender process more appetizing for small businesses, it hasn't improved much since I've been in business. In fact, I think it's been harder and harder. Why? Because there are a series of hurdles you need to jump through just to respond and also the information that is requested of you in a tender makes it really hard to follow up and actually manage. For example, one tender I recall being advised that a mandatory requirement was for me to include that government department as a claim person or persons on our insurance policy, meaning that if something didn't go right, that they would have the option of actually raising a claim against our business on our own insurance policy. You're probably thinking, what the? Yes, my reaction too. So I asked around and I found that not only was it ridiculous, but something that really is common, not just in government tenders, but in tenders in general. But today's focus is really about the government tenders because that's an area where I think there is a lot of opportunity for smaller businesses to get involved, even though they may not realize it. Though there are many issues when it comes to government tender processes. Here are just a few. Firstly, they're poorly written. And in some instances, it makes it really, really hard to decipher what exactly the tender requester wants. And that may be a a particular manager or a department, whoever it might be that's actually put the tender to tender together rather may not actually make it clear enough to help you decipher what it is. Often there's ridiculous forms that you have to fill out and you often don't know why the forms change, even if it's coming from the same government department. It's often usually down to a personal preference of the person who's actually put the tender together. The application process for tenders is really hard. It uses high-level information that can only be interpreted by someone in that business or in that department rather. But the process itself in actually going through, there is so many barriers to entry for smaller businesses. There's often many accounting and legal requirements, for example, that you would probably read and think there is no way that these sorts of things would be applicable for a small business. And the things that they request 
are often tailored and targeted to big businesses because they are the ones that often win most of the tenders, I would say. My guest, my guests on that one. The tenders themselves, when they're written, not only favor big consultancy companies who are constantly winning them, but they also are targeted to those sorts of organizations who have the time, the money, the resources to fill them out. Not only filling them out, but having them reviewed and and made sure that they are good as gold so that they can be more successful than our smaller businesses. The worst part is with, with the whole tender process is, and this is one of the many frustrations that I have experienced myself is that you might find that you get a really short question and answer period where you do have an opportunity to ask questions, any questions you want within a set time period before the question process part is closed. Now, in that opportunity, you may already have questions. As I mentioned earlier, the tenders themselves are quite confusing. And so you might have a range of questions that you want to ask. But what happens when you actually go through and submit your tender application? And you more often than not get feedback. And I mean, that's probably one of the positive things about the responses, whether they're negative or positive, that you do typically get feedback when it comes to government tenders, unlike some other tenders, which you probably don't. And I've seen that also firsthand, where not getting feedback to help you improve. Anyways, the point is you get opportunities to ask questions up front. But when you get that feedback, you don't actually get any other opportunity for clarifications for validation of their feedback. I mean, I've received feedback sometimes, for example, that was as simple as one tender that I had registered our business for. We included a number of key resources, myself included. It was for a role, sorry, a tender that was for a Canberra location. And it required our team to not only be located in Canberra, which is another state, in Australia, but also in um, in some other locations. Now, at that point in time, I'd only allocated myself 20% for being present in the Canberra location. Now, that was just an indicative number. That number could absolutely have gone way up if it was necessary to secure the tender. Now, that was one of these rejection reasons that the time in the state that they required was not sufficient. But had they just raised the question around having that 20% become 50% or 60% or had had a opportunity for a right of reply, then absolutely that number could have gone up. Another time we were rejected because we stated a number of resources that we estimated were required for the proposal that we had put forward. And that was off the basis That was off the back of not knowing the size of this transformation program, nor did we know the complexity, the maturity, the number of people there. We had to estimate how many people we needed to be present to support their program management requirements. Now, when you are asked to support a 
program of work, typically you'd get an indication of the size, the scale, something to help you with that estimation. So because we weren't provided that, we actually had no clear idea as to what would be required. And so we made a best guesstimate with a lot of details to support our proposal. Unfortunately, we didn't get any feedback on the size of the program or the portfolio and our tender application was rejected as a result because of that reason. So I certainly was not trying to shoot myself in the foot, but it was a bit of a guessing game. The other part of it is the tender process overall is fraught with issues depending on what state or what city or whether it's a federal government tender process, they are all using different tools, platforms, some are online. Well, most of them are online now, but a lot of them require many other elements. For example, the state tender application versus the federal government tender application, and even then by cities uh, all differ, which means it's always requesting different information. And you also need to make sure that you're registered with these tender platforms, which anyone really can do. So I think if they took a time, took the time to make it fairer for all size businesses, it would be far more competitive and the government themselves would probably save some money by not paying the exorbitant fees that go to the giant consultancies who, as I mentioned, have all the time in the world and the resources to submit for these tenders. And if they took, if the government took the time to make the tender process more, more accessible for some smaller businesses, it might actually give smaller Aussie owned businesses a better chance. So what can we do about it? Will we just sit there and complain? No, we won't. There are many ways to get through the tender process and to get results. Unfortunately, we've lost a few, but fortunately, we've won some. In fact, we have won at least a tender a year in the last um, four or so years of our business. If you do secure a government tender, any tender for that matter, but particularly the government tenders, the results are significant enough Because with some of the tenders that we have secured before, it actually covers the cost of our team for months at a time, because often they're larger pieces of work and they're very tangible. The opportunity to get more work with this government department or the the federal government um, is also increased because you also are then registered and it's noted that you've been successful in previous tender Uh, applications. So we need to ask ourselves, what are the things that we can do to improve the chance and make it worthwhile? After all, when you think about it, it's a lot of effort that goes into it. In fact, I've estimated it takes somewhere from four to 10 days on average to respond to a tender and give ourselves a fighting chance. So there are a number of different things you can do to make sure that you are giving yourself the absolute best chance. And these these suggestions and ideas are based on past experience of not only winning, but also losing tenders. And as I mentioned, the tenders 
process itself is not only fraught with problems, but has also variations depending on which tender uh, registration that you are applying for. So I thought that I would share some tips and some ideas on how you can improve your chances of success when it comes to registering a tender application. And hopefully you get the opportunity to win it. So what are some of the things that I would recommend? Now, I would first and foremost suggest that once you have registered with the Victorian or Australian federal government tender uh, websites, and I can share some of those in the show notes, check the tender's dates. Open up the tender, do a read of it, look at the dates. The dates are the most critical element of the whole thing. The reason for that is they are very, very strict. The dates that are mostly important are your submission date. That is the deadline of when you need to submit the tender and also the cutoff time for questions that you have the opportunity to submit. Now, let's say that you review the documentation and you come up with a bunch of questions that you want to ask. If you don't get those questions out in time by the question cutoff period, then you're really going to be flying blind. And I say that because it has happened to us. We have actually missed the question cutoff date. And so we end up having to guess our way through it because after the cutoff date, there is no further correspondence entered into. There is no opportunity to ask questions outside of that. And the reason for that is the question timeframes and the deadlines themselves are applicable to everybody responding to the tender. And that is one of the ways that they try to keep it fair. So make sure that you check the dates and make note of them so that you are able to not only respond to the tender, but also respond to the questions opportunity in that specific tender as well. The other thing I would recommend is when you read the tender and you read how they want you to respond, make sure that you respond exactly as they specify. For example, if you receive details in the tender and they ask you to fill out a particular form or use a particular layout or use an Excel spreadsheet or whatever it might be, often the reason they're asking you to fill them out and they provide you those templates Templates that are often not well done, might I add, but are templates none the the worse. They are often asking you to fill them out rather than creating your own. Not Not because they want to take the time out and create these templates for us as applicants, but they rather get you to all fill them out consistently to make it easier when they do their reviews. If you think about it, some companies respond in, if some companies responded in their own way, they would probably receive, I'm going to guess, at least 20 plus responses per tender at minimum, I would guess. And if they had 20 different variations and 20 different layouts and 20 different forms and some were PDF and some were Word documents and some were Excel, my goodness, that would be absolutely chaotic. It would be mayhem. So, When you are reading the response, 
respond exactly as they specify. The other one I would say is don't use jargon or acronyms in your responses. You have to assume that they don't know anything about you and your response needs to be really clear and succinct and it needs to be clear of any jargon or any acronyms in your responses because they won't do you any favors. Especially even if you're especially if you're using industry terms that you may forget that those terms are relevant to you but may not be relevant to the person reading your tender. For example, we use the term PMO stands for project management office amongst other things. Now, if I constantly talk about PMO in a tender and it wasn't mentioned by them already in their um, in their glossary, for example, the person reading the tender might be someone in vendor, in vendor management or in sourcing. They may not actually know what that means. So why would I use jargon or acronyms that might make it harder for them to understand my message? The other thing that I recommend is don't think, put yourself in their shoes and don't assume they know you or they know your business or they know your processes. In fact, don't assume anything. Don't assume anything at all because it doesn't help you. Don't assume that they know you or they 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 know anything about you. Don't assume they've Googled your business or they've looked you up online or anything like that. When you respond, always respond in full. For example, if they're requesting 500 words, then re- write to 500 words. If they're requesting 1,000 words, then write to 1,000 words. If they're requesting 25 words, then make it 25 words. Don't go over because there is a reason they call that out. Then the references section. So when looking at your referees, often they will ask for references and unfortunately they request references even if you are successful or not successful, which means you need to get in touch with your referees and let them know that you've applied for a tender and they may actually call you. One way of doing that is just sending a courtesy email, giving them an brief overview of what the tender is about. Doing so means they're not going to get a surprise if they get called up. Now make sure you do that because you don't want a tender to end up the tender application process to involve calling referees and your referees have no idea or don't support what you've indicated inside your application. One of the sections in most tenders or if it's not there, I recommend you consider mentioning. Often they'll give you an opportunity in the tender somewhere to add additional information. This is where I recommend you add your value add. Now, as I mentioned, a lot of tenders require you to respond in a certain way. And it makes it really hard to really bring that creative side if you are a creative person or to bring that flavor that comes from the business that you are running and how you like to respond. So the value add section is an opportunity for you to call out what this tender um, manager effectively in the company or the, or the government department is going to get from you and your business that is above and beyond what they're paying for. For example, do they get access to specific IP? Will they get ongoing support that you know is a value add that's outside of the normal cost that they're going to be paying you. Will they get a books distributed to all of their staff? Whatever it might be, 
put that into the value add section and make it really tangible. Make it something that makes them think and and see really the value they're going to get by not only paying for your services, but also the extra things that they get along the way. Another one is to look at leveraging past applications or past submissions. So one of the things that we do with every application is make note of the feedback we received as to why we weren't successful. And when we were successful, also make note of that feedback. And then leverage past applications, particularly if we're reapplying for the same government tender platform, even though the tenders might be different, and actually leveraging that information so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. In fact, I recommend to not only leverage past applications and submissions, but also leverage any mistakes you might have made along the way. For example, in one tender application that we submitted, we didn't have a clear view on the the renamed resources we were using. So we just indicated resource type profiles, which means we didn't give any named resources. But if I go back to my earlier point, they wanted named resources is a little bit unfair because you have to do all this work to notify these resources if you are successful they might get work but then if you're not you've just wasted all that time with recruitment another reason why big businesses have an advantage here so by leveraging what they've asked for you need to put in specifically what they've asked whether it's named resources or whether it's a specific spreadsheet or it's an additional form whatever it might be One of the things that we've done that has really streamlined the tender process in our business is we've created a template of key information to save ourselves time. And we are leveraging tools such as Airtable and similar to actually create sections of the tender that we can then modify as we need or insert as they are inside our application. Because a lot of the tenders will ask for many of the same things, although we'll have some individual areas. So really bringing that together in a way that your temp, your team can temp, template it and reuse that template is going to save you a lot of time. Now, going through the tender process can be quite daunting and overwhelming, and it can be quite scary, particularly when you see a tender and it is so large and it requires so much. So one of the things you can consider doing is partnering with other organizations that you may already know, trust, or have worked with particularly if it is about a bigger opportunity. So for example, if you are a web design company and there's a tender out for some digital marketing work, maybe you can partner with a graphic designer or a content marketer and do the website elements. There's a lot of different ways to work together with other businesses to provide you the opportunity to get your foot in the door. The tender process itself is open particularly here in Australia, the tender process is open. Anyone can register to receive notifications of tenders. As I said, there is a lot of them. I'm getting at least a daily email about these tenders. So you need to sift through them, look at the ones that are applicable for your business and actually review them to see whether they're relevant. Once you've done that, then you can go through some of the steps that I outlined today to help you to increase your chances of success with applying for your next tender. When taking all of this stuff into account, I have actually been able to secure more tenders, speed up the application process, leverage past mistakes and lessons, and improve our overall success rate. 
There is a lot to learn when it comes to securing tenders. And although it's really, really hard work sometimes, the government ones can pay off if you secure it. It also gives you credibility and the opportunity to leverage newer tender opportunities and also gives you greater level of confidence and satisfaction, particularly when you secure a tender that you know one of the bigger consultancies missed out on. It just takes patience, perseverance and persistence and a clear approach to planning and responding so that you can continuously improve as you move forward. So there's a lot of things that you can take hopefully from today's episode that will help you on your journey with either government tenders or any tender for that matter. Creating some form of checklist will also help you and it can be something that will streamline your process so that as your business grows, your team also can leverage those past lessons and learnings and utilize a consistent approach moving forward. So hopefully that has been very helpful for you. To assist you in this process, we've devised a checklist that is available to all of our loyal fans. All you need to do is go to www.patreon, that's P A treon.com forward slash agile ideas to gain access to not only the checklist but more exclusive content videos and other information that we will continue to share for all of our fans also make sure you've subscribed so you can be made aware when our next episode drops it's going to be a good one So click subscribe so you guarantee that you don't miss out. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We welcome any feedback. Please let us know by going to www.agilemanagementoffice.com forward slash agile ideas. You can also find us on most social media channels by searching agile ideas or follow me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening please share or rate this if you enjoyed it. I hope you've been able to learn, feel, think, or be inspired today. Until next time, what's your agile idea?